to be with you this evening and uh, if you're joining us for the first time tonight or you weren't able to be here last week you have joined us at the beginning of a five-month journey which is I think the longest series we've ever done here in the evening and uh, I'm really excited about it. over the next five months we're going to be working our way through three chapters in the book of Matthew Matthew 5 to 7 which uh, we all know as the Sermon on the Mount. And we've called it a new way to live because that's what Jesus begins to unpack in the sermon. He begins to share with his disciples a new way to live. And, and this is perhaps Jesus' greatest sermon. It's without competition in the Scriptures. It's his longest uninterrupted speech that he ever makes. And, and it's a discussion that he has with his closest disciples. See, what's been happening in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has been going around, around the Sea of Galilee, around the Decapolis, the Ten Towns, He's been doing a lot of ministry with people. It says he healed all the people that were sick. He cast out all the demons from those who were demonized. And uh, there was great rejoicing, and all the people were really excited. And, and it was, it was, the ministry was really going. And then Jesus needed to take his disciples away. And he'd just gone and called them. Just before this, he's gone to the Sea of Galilee. He's called the guys. He said, guys, will you come and follow me? And he's collected Peter and James and John and a couple of the guys. And they've begun to follow him. And he's begun to do some ministry. And then after that, he says, we need to just take a break. We need to walk up. We need to go onto this little hill. And we need to chat a little bit about what it means to be my disciple. And so if you go through all the scriptures, you will find nowhere else will you find this, that this is the fullest and the most comprehensive guide that we have in the scriptures on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In this sermon, Jesus deals with his disciples and he says, this is what it's going to be like. If you want to follow me, if you, you've said yes, when I asked you to follow me, you said, yo, well, come along. I want to let you know this is what it's like. This is, this is the blueprint. These are the T's and C's, the, the fine print, the stuff that no one ever reads when you click yes on your app installations, right? This is what it's all about. And as you go through this sermon, as we do this over the next five months, you're going to notice that Jesus doesn't pull any punches, he, he doesn't set the bar nice and low. This isn't like a relevant magazine article that you read on Facebook that says five easy ways to get yourself right with God. Right? That's not what we're reading here. This is the king of the kingdom who comes down and says to people who wants to follow me, this is what it's like to be a citizen in my kingdom. If you want to follow me, this is what it's all about. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you over the next five months as we go through this sermon I want to encourage you to let his words confront you, to, to let them arrest you, kind of stop you in your tracks and, and allow them to interrogate you, to interrogate your heart, to interrogate the way in which you live, to interrogate the way in which you make decisions and see if you can hold that justification that so readily springs to the fore. See if you can hold it to the side for just a moment. Because when you listen to his words, they should cause you to stop in your tracks. They should cause you to stop and to pause and to reevaluate. Because if they didn't do that, would they, would they really be the words of God? See, guys, as we go through this sermon over the next five months, this isn't just another opinion in our world of relative truth. This isn't just an article that someone's linked you to on Facebook that's probably going to be a good five-minute read and going to make you like, you know, oh, that was a good point. Maybe I'll, you know, think about that some other time. These are the words of God himself. When he came and became a man and walked among us, these, this is what he said. And it's recorded for us that we would encounter them and be changed by them as he speaks. And so I want to encourage you, as we do this, as we go through this message for the next five months, I want you to resist all of your temptations to kind of humanize Jesus' words. 
to kind of make them more palatable for us, to, to diminish them or make them accessible and compatible with our Western lifestyles. Right? And just allow yourself to be confronted by what he has to say and allow him to speak into your heart and to move you. And last week, Howard picked up the very beginning of the sermon, the part that we call the Beatitudes. Right? It's the introduction to the Sermon on the Mountain. And Jesus launches the sermon with his disciples by describing the characteristics of those who would follow him. Right? That those who follow him would live in the blessing of his grace and that they would live like and embody the characteristics of the king of the kingdom. That's how he starts. And then as we move into the passage we're going to look at this morning, Jesus bridges from the characteristics of those who follow him into a description of their nature. Right? And that's where we're going to, that's where we're going to go. And I, I want to say in these first 16 verses of Matthew chapter 5, the whole of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is kind of encapsulated. Everything that Jesus is going to say in the next three chapters all begins to describe and unpack what he says in these first 16 verses. Right, what it means to be, to be blessed as one of his followers and what it means to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's the passage that we're going to look at this morning. Right, and that's probably one of the most well-known passages of Scripture. It's probably the most well-known part of the Sermon on the Mount. And so I want to try and do two things this morning as we look at this thing. I want to try and be as short as possible in explaining the text to you. And then I want to try and spend more time talking about how we can live like that in our lives. That's what we're going to do. And the reason I want to do that is, is quite simple. It's not because we couldn't spend a whole sermon discussing the different uses of salt and how that metaphor points us to a wide range of roles and functions that we as Christians could and should be performing in society. It's not because I couldn't spend a long time drawing out for you the beautiful parallels between Jesus in John chapter 8 describing himself as the light of the world and here in Matthew chapter 5 telling us that we are the light of the world. It's also not because I didn't have enough time to prep this message and I just kind of wanted to wing it because, you know, it was, it was too hard to do the, to the legwork. I wanted, I, I love this text. I, I re, when, we, when we spoke about this, this series, I said, guys, I would love to preach this text. Please, can I have this text? Because it is so rich, and it is so profound, and it's so significant and powerful. But the reason I wouldn't want to spend a long time discussing it this evening is because when Jesus said it, he never said it so that people could spend a long time discussing it. If he wanted to do that, he would have gone to Athens, he would have gone up to the Areopagus, I keep saying that wrong, Right? And he would have presented it to the philosophers there as a new ethical framework on how to live. And they would have had a great time having a philosophical debate about it. But that's not where he shares it. He takes his closest disciples and those who have said that they want to follow him, and he draws them aside and he says, guys, if you want to follow me, this is what it's like. This is how you need to live. And so that's what we're going to be doing as we go through the message tonight, we're really going to be asking this simple question, how does this affect the way in which I live? That's what we're going to be doing. So let's read it together, these whole four verses, and let's go from there. All right, Matthew chapter 5, 13 to 16. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how will its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and then put it under a basket. But instead they put it on a stand so that it can give light to all who are in the house. 
in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they would see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's it. That's our text. Right? And those of you who have been here for a while might remember the very first sermon that I preached where I had two verses and I managed to speak for an hour. Right? Now I've got four verses. We're not going to be here nearly that long, I promise. There's three things I want to tell you. It wasn't a very good sermon, by the way. It wasn't my best efforts. It was my first efforts. All right. Three things that we need to catch from this message, this passage this morning. Jesus is speaking about our identity. He's speaking about our purpose. And he's speaking about the manner in which we live that out. Right? That's what we're going to talk about this evening. And we're going to do that as briefly as possible. So here we go. Here's the first one. Let's talk about identity. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. There's a significant shift that happens as we launch into Matthew 13, as we're coming out of the Beatitudes, because most of the Beatitudes are written in the third person. Jesus says, blessed are those who do this. Blessed is the man or woman who is like this. And then in the final Beatitude, he shifts from speaking in the third person, and he moves to the second person. He says, now, blessed are you when people persecute you and do all kinds of things to you. And the reason he does that is not to exclude anyone, not to exclude us because we weren't there, but to, in, to make his disciples recognize, to make those who would follow him recognize that, that this is something that particularly applies to them. This is particularly significant. This is not just general teaching, but this is truth that they need to grab a hold onto because it's going to be real for them in their lives. All right. And so our passage starts with the same word. It starts with the word you are the salt of the earth. And it's a very small word. It's a very simple word. But there's something significant about it in the Greek that I just want to pause for a moment and help us to recognize. The word you here is the Greek word humais, and it is written emphatically in the Greek. What that means is it carries an exclusivity inherent in what it says. All right. In other words, Jesus is saying it is you and you alone. It is you and no one else that is the salt of the earth and the light of the world. What he means then is he's saying, it's, it's you, you fishermen and tax collectors and farmers, you guys are, are, are my disciples. You're going to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Not the Israelite nation. Not the historical people of God that have always been the people of God and that have been following the ways of Yahweh up until this point. That's not who's going to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He's saying not even, not even the religious leaders of those people, not even the Pharisees or the Sadducees, the pastors of their day. That's not the salt of the earth or the light of the world. It's not the Romans. It's not the, the empire that has conquered the known world and established civilization amongst the barbarian tribes. They're not the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That is unique identity to you and to you alone. You fishermen and tax collectors who have chosen to follow me, to belong to Jesus is to belong to an exclusive group that's unlike any other group of people. The second thing that I want us to just notice here is, again, it's a very simple thing. It's a very small thing. But Jesus says this. He says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That little word, are, is a very significant word because, again, of what it's not. Jesus doesn't say, guys, I want you to know you should be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. 
He doesn't say, you know what, you, you can be or you could be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He doesn't say, you are in the process of becoming the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He doesn't say, you know what, if you journey with me for three years and we spend a lot of time praying for you and we have some prophetic ministry and we do some deliverance ministry and we have at least 17 hours of counseling, that at that time you will then be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. It's not what he says. He just says, you are. You are. This is a statement of identity. It's, it's about how we have been designed and created in Christ Jesus. Right? It's not something you can turn on and off. It's not something you can opt in and out of. When life gets a little bit too hectic and you're not quite sure if you can continue to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world anymore. And I, and I know that life really does get hectic. Right? I know that's very real. Like we, we get really sick. We get really, really ill. We've had one of those weeks as a family. People have been really hectically sick and ill, right? Work can go crazy. Work can go absolutely out of hand, and your, your brain is just totally overloaded with all the responsibilities and burdens that you're carrying in the office. Family can get really, really, like, messy and hard and challenging, and the dynamics can be super, super difficult. Those of you who are studying can know the workloads can just increase, and they can, they can all decide. All your lecturers don't, like, communicate with each other, and they're like, you know what, guys? I think you should all have an assignment that you should do for next week, and, you know, you can all spend at least 25 hours on my assignment because you've got nothing else to do in your life yeah you guys know what it's like life gets hectic and when it does you you can and maybe you should sometimes create space in your life by checking out of some things sometimes that's a necessary step but this is not one of those things being the salt of the earth and the light of the world is not one of those things this is a little bit like me going up to my parents and saying you know what guys you know, life at, at church is just really hectic at the moment. I've just got like an awful lot of stuff on my plate. So if it's all right with you, I'd just like to take a bit of a break from being your son for the next couple of months. Um, is that all right? Cause, and then when things calm down a bit, I'll, I'll, I'll step back in. I don't get to do that because it's part of my DNA. It's part of who I am. And no matter what happens in my life, even if I never speak to my parents again, I will still always be their son. And they will always be my parents. Jesus is saying the same thing. He's making a statement about who you are. That as much as you are a son or a daughter of your parents, as much as you have a birth mother and a birth father, so you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Right, so let's, let's explore a bit together what that actually means. What is Jesus saying when he makes those statements of identity? And this relates to that idea of purpose. This is the second thing that we're going to look at, right? Jesus says this. You can stick it up for me, Josh. He says, but if the salt has lost its taste, how will its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything. He says in verse 14b to 15, he says, a city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand so that it can give light to all who are in the house. See, when Jesus speaks about our identity, he says your identity is an identity of purpose. It has purpose inherently built into it. You've been designed and created, redeemed and then chosen with a purpose in mind. Right? It's, it's a little bit like steel. Bear with me for a moment. Okay? We didn't just happen upon steel. Steel wasn't just discovered in our natural environment. We began to build stuff. We moved into the industrial age, and we realized, you know what, guys? Iron is not so good. 
It rusts. It doesn't quite have the same tensile strength. We need to do something about it. And so we found some iron, and we melted it down, and we mixed it with some other metals, and then we made steel. And we we're like, steel is now what we need to build big skyscrapers. This is the material that's going to help us do what we need to do. It was created with a purpose. It's not like fire, right? One day lightning struck a tree and there was fire. We discovered it. We didn't create it. In the same way, God didn't discover us. We were created and we were created with a purpose. You were designed to do something, to be something. So here's the question. What is it that we were designed to do and to be? All right, and, and as I said earlier, this is a space we could, we could spend a lot of time, right? And scholars have done that over the years. They've spent a lot of time talking about the different uses of salt and light. You know, salt pre- 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 prevents decay. It preserves things. It flavors food. If you eat a lot of it, it makes you real thirsty, especially when you go to the movies and oversalt your popcorn, right? Light, light brightens things. It, it reveals things. It's a metaphor in Scripture for, for both life and the revelation of God. Right? But all of these things, and, and they're all good, and they're all great, and they all carry meaning for us. And if you want to discuss them at length, I am available afterwards. Come and chat to me. We can chat. Right? But they, they share one thing that kind of undergirds them. And there's one, there's one thing in common, and this is the, the, the concept of otherness. Right, bear with me. It's, it's because they're different that there's significance. It's because salt is different from the food it's added to that salt is of any value. If my salt didn't taste like anything, I'm not going to put a lot of it in my chicken because then it's not going to affect anything. It's going to make no difference. Right? The other day I needed to get into my attic. And so I needed to turn the thermostat down on my, on my uh, geezer. And so I got out a torch and I turned it on. And it didn't turn on. I said, that's not very helpful. So I unscrewed the back of the torch, and I put some new batteries in it, and I screwed the back back on, and I turned it back on, and you know what? It still didn't work. Who wants to bet what I did with that torch? Threw it away, right? A torch that doesn't shine any light is not a torch anymore. It's useless. It's just a piece of plastic and some metal, right? It's no longer a torch. That's the heart of what Jesus is trying to stress here. He's trying to say that if you are going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciples, what's inherent in your DNA and the way in which you've been created is that you've been created to make a difference and to make an impact in the environment that you find yourself in. That's what he's trying to say. And and he kind of goes to great lengths to to tease this out by proposing these ridiculous scenarios. Has anyone ever tasted salt that doesn't taste like salt? It doesn't exist, and scholars kind of theorize that maybe it used to exist back in the day because there were some impurities in salt, and when the salt got a little bit wet, then, you know, the salt would actually dissolve and the impurities would be left. You'd be left with a pile of stuff that, that looked like salt but wasn't actually salt. But the, what Jesus is trying to tease out is salt that doesn't taste like salt is no longer useful. No one's putting it on their food. Right? In the same way, imagine, imagine being in a conversation with Jesus, and he says, he says guys, a revolutionary idea. Right? Game changer. Yeah, you remember Facebook? Remember smartphones? This is a game changer. Like, what are we going to do? We're, we're going to take a lamp, we're going to light it, and we're going to put a bucket on top of it. Amazing. Why? That's the most, that is the stupidest idea in the history of stupid ideas. Right? And Jesus says it here because he wants you to recognize and to understand how absolutely ludicrous it is to do something like that. 
If you've got a light, the light is designed to make a light in darkness. It's designed to shine and to bring light. Right? And if light doesn't bring light, if your torch doesn't work, you throw it away because it's useless. This is the key message that Jesus wants us to get across and all the many things that we can talk about is that followers of Jesus, those who have chosen to follow Jesus have been designed and created and chosen because God has made them different. And when they were created again in Christ Jesus, he put it into their DNA that just as they were a child of a physical mother and a physical father, so now in their DNA is the fact that they are salt and they are light and wherever they go, they make an impact on the environment that they find themselves in. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. By default, we always impact the places that we are. And sometimes, sometimes for us, there's an insignificance that we carry in our spirits. And someone says this, and Brad stands up on stage and tells me, you know, God has created you to make an impact in the space that you're going. You're like, well, that's, that sounds real great, Brad, but you, you don't actually know. I'm quite a timid person. God can never really do that through me. All right? I, I, know, I know how that feels because you know what? I face the same temptations. The thing is that those are, those are lies that the enemy loves to serve up to us as truth so that we cannot live out the identity that God has made us to be. But you are salt and light. You don't have a choice in being salt and light. If you've chosen to follow Jesus, that's who you are, and you do make an impact. Just ask the people around you. They'll be able to tell you what that impact looks like. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment, but we want to, I want to jump into the last part, our approach Right? This is the, the final part that Jesus speaks about. He speaks about how this is going to happen. He says that they would see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Right? And this is, this is really simple. I don't want to spend a lot of time teasing this out because this is, this is obvious. Jesus is saying just as a city that sits on a hilltop is clearly visible to everyone, just like when you climb up Table Mountain and you look out, you don't have any difficulty seeing Cape Town. Right? It stands out. The lights are everywhere. Just as a lamp provides light to those in the room, so in the same way, it's evident who we are to others because of what we do. What we do is a testimony to others about who we are. The way in which we live our lives testifies to other people. It shows other people. It points other people towards Jesus. That's what he's saying. That as God is at work in you, he works in you to change you, to, to make you more like himself. And as he's doing that, people around you are able to see you, and they're able to see Jesus. Right. What he's saying is, when you are my disciples, I've made you, and you're different. You're not the same as everyone else. And so when you're in a situation and something happens, you respond differently. You think differently. When you're in this country and things are going really bad, Right? And it's politically tense at the moment, and we don't know what's going to happen. The child of God thinks differently because he knows that there's a God on the throne. She knows that there's a God on the throne who is at work in the lives of this country and the people of this land. Right? When you lose your job, and it's hectic, and it's hard, we don't lose hope because we know that there's a God who sits on the throne. When someone insults you, we don't immediately take offense because we recognize that we're all broken people and we walk in sinfulness some of the time. And actually, I'm called to love my enemy as I love myself. The child of God thinks differently, lives differently, acts differently because God is in them and has made them different. 
That's what it means to be salt and light. So if that's who we are, how does that begin to affect how we live? And in some ways, I feel like we need to refine that question a little bit because Jesus doesn't say that we have a choice in the, in the way in which we, whether we make an impact or not. We make an impact because of who we are. Really, the question maybe needs to be how, how salty is our salt, right? How bright is your light? Do you perhaps have a light, and you know that you have a light, but, but if you're honest with yourself, you know that there's been times and moments and situations where actually it's easier to, to just kind of take a bucket and to put it over the light because it's less confrontational and it doesn't lead to maybe a difficult conversation that you were scared of having and you, you didn't really want to offend anyone or cause any disruption. And so you just kind of put the bucket over it and, and didn't let it shine. Sometimes we need to ask that question and and I want to I pose that question to us this evening, not because I want to condemn anyone, not because I want to tell you that you're a bad Christian and how could you possibly do such a thing, because you know what? I do it. Roland does it. And Howard does it. And we all do it because we, we fall short in moments and at times. And we're always, the temptation is always there to shy away. The whole letter to the Hebrews was written to a group of Christians who were trying desperately hard to hide their light because to be a Christian in their situation was hard and difficult and people were killing them, right? They had a slightly better excuse than most of us, right? But, but there's an opportunity for us to recognize, and I just want to lead us in a simple prayer of repentance because when we recognize where we've fallen short, where we recognize where we've sinned against God, it's a wonderful thing because then we can turn away from it. We can turn in repentance to God, and He restores us and renews us and creates us again as the way we were designed to be. And so when we acknowledge our sin before Him, it's not acknowledging that we're worthless. It's just saying that we're a fallen people in need of a Savior. That's who Jesus is. So I want to take a moment and I want to lead us in a time of prayer. And, and if you feel like there's something in your heart that you can identify, there's been a thing that, that you've taken where you know you've kind of hidden the light that God has given you to bring, the impact that God has called you to make. And you may be shied away from it. And this might be some of us. It might not be all of us. But we're just going to create a quiet moment for you to just have a moment with God and allow Him to bring some restoration into your hearts. So why don't you close your eyes with me for a moment. God's promise to us in the letter of 1 John is this. It says, if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to both forgive you for the sins that you've done and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And God, we want to come before you this evening because we recognize that, that there have been times and, and there have been moments where it's been easier for us to hide the light that you've put in us than, it's, than it has been for us to be who you've created us to be. And God, we recognize that, that where we've done that, we, we've sinned against you. God, we want to apologize for that. We want to declare, God, that we're sorry we want to declare that we're sorry for, for in that, that moment of weakness and of temptation, of not, not walking by the Spirit, but in walking on the flesh. And we want, to, we want to turn away from that decision. We want to turn away from that challenge, from that thing that's, that's been over there. We want to turn towards you and say, God, we want to 
be the people that you've created us to be. And so, Father, I ask that in your grace you would come and forgive us now. Wherever we have we've withheld from you all that you've created us to be. And you would begin to birth in us and restore in us a fullness of our identity as the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Thank you, God, that that's who you have created us to be. That is who we are as your children and as, as your followers. Yeah, amen. Amen. So I'm not done. All right, I'm not finished. What we're going to do now is now we're going to talk a little bit about what it looks like to, to live that out. And, and so I've asked for a little bit of help in doing this because I could share some stories with you, but, but I don't want to be the only person you hear from because I live in one particular context and I have one particular set of gifts and you get to hear from me all the time. Right? But each of us are different. Each of us are unique. And we created in God's image and likeness with a unique collection of gifts and a unique makeup so that God is designed to use us in particular and specific ways. And there are ways in which God has created you to be salt and light in the areas that you are that I can't be. Right? And so I've asked, I've asked two different people to come and join me up on stage, Marika and Nathan. Don't you guys want to come up and, and join me on the stage now? And I've asked them to share a little bit of their story and of their journey because I've recognized that, that these are two people among many of you, right, who really own this. Come and, come and join me on the stage. Right. Well, we've seen this as part of their intentional journey in living out their lives. And so I've just asked them to share five, six minutes of what it's meant for them to live to be intentional about living as salt and light. Thanks, Marika. We're ladies first. I offered. <laughs> Hi, guys. Um, so Brad has already explained that as Christians, we are called by God to be an influence and a witness to the world. So I've asked myself, how can I intentionally, authentically um, live like Christ in a worldly society? And spoiler alert, um, it's not as straightforward as I'd like it to be. Um, the textbook answer of what it looks like to be salt and light will probably sound something like this, to reject the ways of the world and live a spirit-led life. So in my early 20s, I was so angry at God for various reasons. Um, I was the opposite of salt and light. Um, instead of being a witness, I actually shied away from telling people that I was a Christian. Um, I didn't live like a Christian either. Um, one, on a Monday morning, if my colleagues would ask me what I did over the weekend, instead of saying I went to church, I would have said something vague like, yeah, so I just hung out, hung out with a group of people because um, I didn't want to tell them that I went to church. Um, so, yeah. Um, other times in my life, I felt really proud when I've done things that are good Christian things to do, like buy a meal for a homeless person. And I was really convicted of this pride, and I had to repent. Um, I realized my actions mean nothing if they point back to me. Um, I need to glorify God and not highlight myself. Um, at times where I've faced conflict, hurts, or disappointment, I've questioned how I can actually be salt and light when I felt like an unsalty, gloomy thundercloud instead. <laughs> Um, so over the last couple of months, I've faced some really hard things, and I thought, Lord, where are you? My heart is really breaking. Where, where's your goodness? And a great breakthrough for me was the realization that as a Christian, I don't have to live for my feelings. Um, 
see, I always, always believed in God's goodness. But when you lose loved ones or you face any kind of trials, it's difficult to feel that God is good. Um, but he stays the same. The only thing that actually changes are our hearts and our feelings and our circumstances. Um, so I realized I can live knowing that God is good regardless of how I was feeling. Um, his goodness does not depend on my feelings, and this revelation really helped me and it gave me new meaning to be salt and light. Um, I've been reminded of a verse in Philippians, one of my favorite books in the Bible. In chapter 1, verse 6, Paul wrote this to the Philippians. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So by God's grace, I've learned that we can't be salt and light in our own power and strength because, let's be honest, we would fail terribly. Um, only through his strength can we live with authority, knowing that we are breathing, walking, laughing, and if you know me, sometimes crying witnesses of Christ. Um, I'm extremely blessed by my Connect family, and I pray that we can continue encouraging each other to live lives of impact where we encourage others to glorify God and build his kingdom. Um, yeah, I just wanted to share some of the ways in which I've, um, yeah, I just, I believe that I'm called to, uh, in the places where I've been at, at school and now at varsity, uh, being called to be salt and light, um, and, and that all of us, just examples of ways that we can. Um, so in terms of being salt, I really think that befriending those who are on the outside, uh, those who are not in the popular group, that's been something uh, really I've felt convicted of in terms of being salt. Uh, having compassion towards uh, the poor. There's a lot of uh, injustice in our country um, and acting and standing for justice uh, and helping people. Uh, just being a Christian, whatever your role is, um, in terms of maybe at school you have a leadership role or something, but to, to play out that role with Christian values um, and just influence people in that way. Um, just using opportunities that come uh, each day just to bless, serve, and, and love people. Um, I've been really blessed at Varsity to be able to build a lot of cross-cultural relationships, uh, and I really think that's another way of, of influencing the world for good. Um, yeah, and just, yeah, in terms of being light as well, um, we are light, as Christ said, you know, you are also the light of the world, um, and really just living, knowing that we are Christ's ambassadors, we are his representatives, um, and if we don't act like him and reflect him, that then the people in the, you know, the world who desperately needs Christ, they won't be able to see him. Um, so really just trying to live, um, live out our faith um, and being bold about it. As Brad shared, there's a real temptation to just try to conform, um, to not stick out, um, and, and to cover our light. Um, and, and Paul writes and he says, you know, you guys um, are in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation amongst whom you shite as you, you shine as lights in the world. Um, and I really feel that that's something uh, that, that young people in this generation are experiencing especially. Um, and we need to take a stand for righteousness um, and be light in dark places. Um, and not only um, abstaining from doing these things, but openly um, not taking part in very commonly accepted evils. Um, things like sexual immorality, deceit, drunkenness, um, you know, just despising your parents or 
or, and just the music and entertainment that the world says is okay, um, not being involved in that and, and, and not being ashamed of that, but being unashamedly standing for righteousness um, and trying to be holy as God is holy, being a representative of him. Because if we're ashamed of who we are and not trying to stand out and be a light, then it becomes less convincing and the world doesn't see Christ. Uh, so also just taking a stand for truth um, in, in our world today, it's really um, inclusivity and, and openness to what everyone else thinks is really, that is what's being said as being important. But just taking a stand, um, boldly saying, you know, that Christ is the only way, that all these issues um, like practicing homosexuality, um, abortion, uh, these kind of issues that, that really are quite, you know, um, I don't know, popular to talk about, I guess, really bigger, to, to take a stand um, and stand for truth, not to back off. Um, I think teaching uh, through to Sunday school, there are lots of opportunities in our church to teach young children um, and just build relationships with them, be a leader to them, and just living an outwardly Christ-like life um, through our conduct and being purposefully different from the world. Um, yeah, just trying to let our light shine and being unashamedly different and Christ-centered so that through the way that we live that the world would see Christ. Nate, Marika, thank you guys so much for, for being a part of this. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw us to a close now and I'm going to ask Astrid and the team to come up and to join me on stage. And I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to pray for us that, that God would begin to, to help us recognize the moments and the opportunities that He's put in front of us. I'm going to pray for us that He would begin to, to move us in our hearts to be able to live out who He's created us to be. So let's take a moment, let's pray together, and, and let's just, because I'm, I'm really excited as I look out amongst you guys, and I see so many different people. Each of you has a sphere of influence that God has placed you in. There's a group of people that you can touch that no one else can touch. And it's, it's incredibly exciting to me as I look out and I see how, how God wants to be at work through all of us, touching the people around us and the lives that we're able to, to speak into and to connect into through the unique people that He's made you to be. So let's take a moment and let's pray together. Father, we bless you and thank you that you have chosen to extend and continue your ministry here on earth through us as your people. Now, Jesus, you could have stuck around. You could have walked this earth for thousands of years, leading people to follow you just as you did in the beginning. But instead, instead you said that it's better that I go so that the Holy Spirit would come and that you would be my witnesses in all the world. We bless you for that, God. We thank you for that, Lord. That even us in our weakness and in our imperfections, with the challenges and the burdens that we carry, you've chosen to be at work through us. Because in our weakness and in our brokenness, your strength is made perfect. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you that you've taken these, these earthen vessels, these, these fragile people, and that you've chosen to place in us the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. And so help us, God. Help us to, to continue to step into being who you have made us to be. 
who you have said that we are, the identity that you have spoken into us to be your messengers, to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world, to be a people that make an impact and a difference in all the spaces that we are. Help us, God, to see the little next steps, the things that are just in front of us, the opportunities to follow you in the places that you're working. Give us courage, God. Give us boldness, God, to follow you. Oh, Lord, may, may insignificance just be, be swept away. Lord, where any of us are carrying that in our hearts right now, I just say to the spirit of insignificance, the Lord Jesus binds you. And may you be gone now to Jesus' feet. Holy Spirit, just pour into your children the identity that you have spoken over them. And I pray, God, that you increase the fruit of the harvest through this congregation of people here at Connect. In your wonderful name we pray together, Jesus. Amen. Feel free to stand.